Jose, I say, Jose, it's time to wake up. Oh, buenos dias, senorita. My siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Hey, Michael, mi amigo, pay attention, it's Joe time. So it is. Pierre, you rascal, you. Let's put on the show. Mon ami, I am always ready, as you say, to put on the show. <whistles> oh, pardon, madame. That whistle was for my good friend, Fritz. Ach, to lieber, I almost fell out of my upper perch. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the glee club. <whistles> <whistles> To our new passengers, aloha and welcome. As you board, please move across your car to make room for everyone, and kindly offer available seating to those needing special assistance. The show will begin momentarily. Thank you. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. Welcome to Dave's Disney View Podcast provided on our own version of the information highway in the sky. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. For the comfort of others, no smoking please. Thank you. Dave's Disney View is a look at the Walt Disney World Resort and sometimes beyond, as seen through the eyes of Dave, a frequent visitor, a one-time cast member, and an engineer who simply enjoys the magic and wonder of it all. Now, please keep your party together and put on your virtual mouse ears. And by all means, enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney News. This uh, show is for June 8th, 2011. I'd like to start today's episode by talking about Star Tours 2.0. I have a friend who was there for the preview on March uh, 14th, and he was standing at the head of the line. He was lucky enough to be in the first car, or speeder if you will, uh, to uh, take the tour. And a friend of his was the actual first person to ride the ride. And his review? It was great. Uh, the way they have it set up is to provide a random ride experience. C-3PO is your pilot and R2-D2 is along for the ride. You start off by meeting someone on the Imperial side, uh, and that someone could be Darth Vader. And you manage to evade attack and experience two familiar worlds uh, after a quick trip through light speed, and then you wind up back at a rebel base. The random elements are which two worlds you visit, the Imperial encounter and who that's with, and who greets you at the base when you return. There are familiar characters uh, along the way, so you might see Princess Leia or Luke or someone like that along the way. It's a totally 3D experience, and from what I gathered, they did a nice job of tweaking the ride vehicles to feel like the force is pulling you, you feel a deflection of a blaster hit, you really feel the uh, light speed as you're, uh, as you're going on through space. Um, and you really roll through these virtual environments. If you happen to be on the pod racing and you happen to be swooping left to right, you really feel it. Um, and I think that's pretty slick. Now, on G4's Attack of the Show, uh, if you've ever seen that show, it's a pretty clever show. They do a nice job of reviewing technology and uh, various uh, geeky topics. Um, they interviewed uh, George Lucas, and I'd like to play a little audio from that for you. Please welcome Walt Disney Imagineering's Tom Fitzgerald and another gentleman, I, I believe he makes films. 
Mr. George Lucas, everybody. Hello. Hi, Kevin. Hey, guys. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Thank you for joining me. And, of course, uh, congratulations on the opening of the brand-new Star Tours. Um, it's one of my favorite rides, and I can't wait to get on the new one. But, uh, George, let me ask you, for those who didn't make it down for the start of Star Wars weekend at Disney World on Friday, uh, what can they expect from the new attraction? Well, it's an all-new Star Tours. It's uh, not just a revamp. It's really a much, much better ride. Uh, it uh, now ultimately is 50 different rides, and you can go on it for a long time before you get a, a repeat of what happened uh, in, in another ride that you went on. So it's, it's in 3D. Uh, it has greater animatronic characters, 3PO's in it, um, and it's just a lot more fun. And a lot more Star Wars characters. I mean, we, yeah. we sort of placed their, our adventure this time roughly between episodes three and four, and that opened up a huge range of places we could go and, and faces we could see. That's great. I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted at the thought of over 50 alternate versions of the ride. How does, how does that work? I mean, the best way that I've found to explain it is to think about a storytelling slot machine where you have four different wheels, and those wheels have different segments on them. And every time you get on board the simulator... It's like the lever is pulled, the wheels spin, and whatever they lock on, that's the version you get. And at every branching point, it's totally randomized again. So just because you go to Tatooine doesn't mean you're going to go to Naboo, which will keep it surprising and, and highly repeatable, I think, for our guests. Now, how important is the, the particular time frame that the film is set in? What it is, is it's, it, you know, again, it's a tour of the galaxy with a lot of little stories in it. So it doesn't really replicate what is going on in the features because that would take too long and be too complicated. But what it is, you get to go see the worlds, a lot of the worlds you've seen in all six movies, uh, in a much more uh, friendly environment. In the movie, it's really about a story. So you move through these environments very, very fast. You don't really get to see them that well. Here, you're usually chasing something or running away from something, and you get a chance to actually get a, immersed in the environment and in the world you're in. Uh, there's a lot more humor in this uh, ride than there was in the last one. We have 3PO uh, in the cockpit. We have uh, a lot of funnier characters that are from the, the first three episodes. So uh, it really is a much broader uh, kind of uh, slate that we've been able to work with here than what we had originally, which was, in essence, just uh, ultimately only about two movies. Right. Now, it's been almost 25 years since the first Star Tours attraction opened. Uh, I've been told technology has evolved a little bit. What about the technology behind the ride? Has that changed? Well, in the original attraction, we still had the same flight simulators, but what we discovered is that we were only taking advantage of about 20% of what it was capable of doing. So we looked for adventure experiences from the Star Wars movies that would let us mix it up you know, uh, in Hoth on ice or underwater in Naboo, you know, really changing what we could do. And then from a, a visual standpoint, I mean, in the original show, we had a 70-millimeter projector and a big loop cabinet flying with us. And now with digital projection and 3D, that really opened up the door to us to say, well, we don't just have to have one adventure. We could have multiple adventures. Right. So how, how did you actually integrate 3D into the Star Tours experience? Well, we did a lot of, we did a lot of testing early on. We have a motion simulator at Walt Disney Imagineering in our parking lot, essentially. And we did lots and lots of testing of what would work, how far could we push it, what would look interesting. And there were, there were times when I remember, George, where you'd say, let's have this, let's enlarge this, let's pull this in a little closer to the guests so that we could get the visceral reaction that we wanted uh, in a specific moment in the film. Yeah, the thing to remember about 3D is it's not a technical thing. It's a, it's a creative thing. It's something that is artistry. 
And it really depends on the quality of the artists that are doing it. Uh, because it's just as, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to tell somebody not in the film business, but uh, mixing a movie, doing the sound is very important. And you can really change the whole movie just by mixing the sound in a funny way. Or color timing, deciding the color, how bright it is, how dark it is. You can really change the whole effect of the movie that way. And it's the same thing with 3D. Uh, it's in the in the realm of being a cameraman or a film editor. You know, these jobs are very uh, creative in nature, even though they're technical. And if you get somebody who's good at it, it really makes a, a great difference. If you don't, it's uh, a little problematic. Well, I, I got to tell you, I cannot wait to see what you did with it. I got to get on the ride myself. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for your time, both of you. Uh, Star Tours The Adventures Continue is open now at Disney World. It opens uh, June 3rd here in Disneyland. Pretty good stuff. And you know, one of these days I'm going to have to spend some time talking about the original ride and its technology and why this new ride is possible today. What, what changed? I mean, obviously you got some of that information, but I'd like to talk more specifically about that one day. So keep that in my hip pocket for another show. Now, if you can't make it to the parks and want to check it out, there are several videos available. And I suppose they're technically bootlegged because you're not supposed to videotape on the ride. Uh, but you can go out to YouTube and find those videos and get a sense of what the ride is like. And it looks pretty cool. And while I'm on the topic of Star Tours, there's another very cool rumor that Disney plans to create a larger Star Wars-themed area at the studios. It's purely speculative at this point, um, and uh, this, we don't know much about it, but what the, the concept is is to change the Backlot Catering uh, Company there to become the Star Wars Cantina, and there would be a more interactive experience in the area behind the, uh, what's currently the Tatooine Traders. Now, I have no idea whether this is going to come to fruition or if it's just wishful thinking, but it does sound pretty cool. I'm a bit of a Star Wars geek, and, you know, I really like the whole Star Wars mindset. I couldn't make it out to Star Wars Weekends this year, unfortunately, because I had just gone to the, uh, the scavenger hunt. But hopefully I'll get to go again maybe next year and uh, get to experience it again. It's just, it's a lot of fun. Now, there is a little bit of a silver lining to the, uh, the story about the Star Wars-themed land potentially expanding. Now, George Lucas owns the rights to all things Star Wars, and he had made a licensing deal with Disney about 25 years ago when he first started uh, the idea of Star Tours, and they created a ride around it. Now, he was reticent to do more, and I think part of that had to do with his relationship with Michael Eisner. I think they kind of locked horns along the way. So he had little to do with the relationship from that point forward. But then he agreed to work on this Star Tours 2.0 enhancement, and he was at the formal opening on uh, Disney World on May 20th, and he was there with uh, current CEO Bob Iger, and he had a few nice things to say and was really excited about the ride. So I think the fact that his relationship has improved and uh, he seems to be you know, kind of more interested and active in the, uh, in the Star Wars community uh, and the Walt Disney World community, I think there's certainly a possibility that this could come to pass. I guess we'll see over time, but uh, certainly has a, a nice potential there. Next, I'd like to take a few moments and reflect back on the D23 Great Disney World Scavenger Hunt. It's been several weeks since the event, and I'm still marveling about it. You know, the sign to me of a good event is the fact that many weeks later, I'm still thinking about it, still talking about it, still reflecting on it as being a tremendously fun event. When things like that happen, you know you really enjoyed yourself. You know, and I've been really thinking long and hard about why it is that I've been so interested in it and so engaged. For me, I typically go to, you know, events like scavenger hunts and different things like that, and I enjoy them thoroughly, and I might think about them for a couple of days, but I don't generally obsess about them. But in this case, it's been a little different. And I have to believe, after thinking about it for a while, that the, the rationale here is that 
the devil is in the details. As a longtime fan, as a former cast member, I'm very well aware of the attention to detail that's put into everything. Everything at Walt Disney World has a purpose. You know, whether you're in the parks or the hotels or the resorts or even at Downtown Disney, everything has a purpose. It's in a place for a reason. It has a name for a reason. But in doing the hunt in each of the parks, I came to appreciate it on a deeper, maybe more meaningful level. The questions are superficial in a sense. You know, okay, what's the name on that? What's this? Whatever. But they make you think about that detail. They make you really study it. And in researching the answer key, I learned why some of the answers are relevant, uh, what significance they have to the company, and it, and it underscores that attention to detail. And yes, I said answer key. I actually started a thread over at the uh, Diz boards to uh, create an answer key. And I got a lot of help putting together the answer key. I had some of the answers in my head. Some of them um, were things, notes that I had taken during the event. Um, and then I had other people submitting their answers as well. Now, there were a few answers that we weren't, that nobody submitted and I didn't know. So I actually started researching them on the internet. And it became somewhat, I don't want to use the word obsession because that doesn't seem right, but it became somewhat more powerful. I, I really had to find the answers. I went out and I was looking for things and trying to find them. Find a picture that supports this. Find this. And you can go out and check my answer key and you can read the questions and check everything out. If you go to DisneyPodcast.net, over on the left, I created a link that's called Scavenger Hunt. And uh, in the Scavenger Hunt, you'll see all of the question booklets. I took pictures of them and I, and I uh, have them there online so you can look at the actual booklets. Um, and then uh, I created the answer key or I started the answer key. I, you know, I don't want to say I did it all myself. It was, it was certainly a lot, of, uh, lot of input from different people. So if you want to go check it out, uh, at the answer key is mostly done at this point. Um, and I would sincerely like to thank everyone who contrib contributed to uh, making the answer key a success. Um, there's one person on the thread in particular who's retyping all of the questions so that they uh, can be organized in any way you want. You know, you can take them in a Word document and you can uh, kind of reprioritize them. So you can put different lands or different areas together so you can use it on your next trip. So happy hunting if you do, do decide to do that. Uh, but it's really pretty cool that that's out there and we have um, the opportunity to kind of relive this. So I plan on, on a future trip, maybe taking it with me and looking around and seeing if I can find some of the answers in person rather than finding them online. Now let's take a, um, a couple of examples of why that attention to detail is so important. Now there was, a, there was one example in the Magic Kingdom of a, uh, a couple of step process that took you to the teacups ride. And there was a quote near the teacups ride that you're supposed to find. Now, the, uh, the quote you would need to identify is from uh, Dr. Randy Pausch. He's famous for creating what's called the last lecture. He had a, a, a terminal form of cancer, and he refused to give up. Um, he believes that life is for the living, you should enjoy yourself, and so on. And he created the last lecture to uh, kind of celebrate that in some way. Now, he was given a unique opportunity to uh, live a dream and be an Imagineer for a period of time before his death. So he's a very positive person, he's very uh, upbeat about things, and he has some very creative ideas. And he never let his illness define him. It, he was a person who really kind of thought differently. And it reminds me very much of a certain someone who actually founded the entirety of Disney World, um, and that would be Walt Disney. I just see a, a certain spirit in there of that same type of thing. And so it's an appropriate answer to, uh, to put there as, as one, for one of the questions because it really does evoke the spirit. If you really know the story, it really evokes the spirit of who this guy is. Now, as another example, over at the Animal Kingdom, I was absolutely amazed, and I, I said this on the podcast uh, that, that I created after the event, at the amount of detail that exists in the Animal Kingdom. I mean, I knew it was there, but I never really looked at it, never really spent the time looking at all the different ins and outs and nuts and bolts and this thing is in the right place and everything has a, you know, 
uh, has a ministry board uh, allowing it to, to be out there and things like that. It's just astounding. It's all very well thought out with Asia and Africa and Dinoland having their own characteristics that you might actually see if you were in Nepal or South Africa or a dig site in the Southwest. From signage to wording to text in the appropriate language, it's, it's just amazing. And it makes me look at the park and really all the parks in a different light. I think there's a tremendous opportunity to bring you more on that in the future, so stay tuned because I, I want to talk about this some more and some of the details that, uh, that go in around the parks and how they, how they make it work. Now, it turns out that the rumors were true, and the Enchanted Tiki Room will be returning to something akin to its original glory sometime later this year. Uh, Disney made the formal announcement a few weeks ago, and uh, for those of, you, those of us who love the show and didn't care so much for the under-new management, uh, this is a very welcome set of news. I'm very happy to see the, uh, the uh, Tiki Room uh, coming back and kind of being restored in some way. It's really a kind of a cool show, and since, the, you know, since there was a bird that kind of fomented the whole experience of audio animatronics for Walt Disney, and one of the first things he did was to create the Tiki Room, I think it's a nice tribute to him to bring it back to what it was. Now, in the rumor department, uh, rumor has it that there's going to be a parking lot change at the Magic Kingdom, and they're going to be renaming the uh, parking areas. So that means you should say goodbye to Minnie, Goofy, Donald, and the Dwarves, Rumor has it the names will be replaced by heroes and villains. Uh, the hero side is currently the side that has Daisy and Pluto, and the villain side will be uh, on the side that has the dwarves currently. Uh, some of the heroes that are likely to be uh, implemented are uh, Peter Pan, Mulan, Rapunzel, Aladdin, and Simba, while the villains will be Ursula, Scar, Jafar, and Hook. And this is an interesting change. I mean, it's always been the same since 1971. Here it is 40 years later, and they're thinking about uh, making a change to it. Hey, and more power to them. I mean, I think it's kind of cool that they want to expand out the, uh, some, of the, some of the naming and remembering some of the characters that are maybe a little bit lesser known than Mickey and Minnie. Now, on my last news-related podcast, I talked about the Blackstone Group and how they manage many properties around the Central Florida area, including Universal Studios. Now, the contract with Universal was set to expire, and Blackstone was in an interesting position. They could essentially continue to run Universal as it was, they could sell the rights to another entity, or Universal could buy back the entire ownership stake. At first, Universal, which, which was bought by NBC, which was then bought by Comcast, didn't express much of an interest in buying it back. And then there was a huge management shakeup at uh, Comcast. Industry analysts weren't sure which way this might go, but last week Comcast decided it wanted to get in the world of theme parks, and will be buying back the rights to manage Universal Studios. And since they have deep pockets, I expect a bit of a, what you might call it, a war of attrition between Universal and Disney uh, in terms of the production and show designs and some of the key people that, uh, that play a role in there. I know sometimes Disney poaches people out of Universal and Universal sometimes poaches people out of Disney. It'll be interesting to see how this uh, evolves because now they're going to be in direct competition and trying to compete for that same market. Um, and I'll be curious to see how Universal changes as well. I'm not huge fan of Universal. It's just kind of there in my opinion. So it'll be interesting to see how it evolves and what changes in it. Now it's entirely possible that the Universal theme park might change in some way to do more of what they did right with Harry Potter. I guess we'll see. I don't know how many of you are aware of the show Phineas and Ferb, uh, but I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to that show. Uh, it's over on the Disney Channel and it's a fun show about two boys who fill their summer with very unusual highbrow activities. There was a good article a few months ago in Wired, a magazine about the creators Dan Povermeer and Jeff Marsh, and how they always wanted to do something like this, uh, this kind of a show. A little bit esoteric, but yet a kid's show. Uh, very clever. 
it's really a lot of fun. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend checking it out. It's just, it's a good time. And now you can meet Phineas and Ferb at Disney's Hollywood Studios. I know what I'm going to do the next time I visit. Hey, where's Perry? Now, the way it goes is that a director is helping the boys create a movie called We're Making a Movie, the Movie. Guests experiencing the show are able to get picked as extras and special parts in the show, which makes it fun for kids of all ages. According to uh, some posts that I've seen online, the characters themselves look great, and they're just so incredibly loved from their television show that this kind of attraction was bound to happen before too long. Guest interaction here is uh, what the show is all about, so it's a great place to take the kids if they're looking for something really hands-on to do. Now I'd like to take you off the, the beaten path just a little bit. I found an interesting article that I wanted to share with you, and it has to do with how Disney helps to shape many things around it, including sometimes the law. Basically, the Florida Law Review was exploring something they called the wonderful world of Disney visas. So here's the story uh, excerpted from uh, multiamerican.scpr.org. It's a San Francisco-based uh, um, organization. And it's uh, international workers play an important role in perpetuating the carefully crafted fantasy that to visit the Walt Disney World Resort in Orlando, Florida is to be transported to a far-off destination around the globe. This article examines how Disney has filled its need for these workers in two ways. For one, Disney has used a blend of chutzpah and ingenuity to forge a new federal law in establishing the Q visa. Additionally, Disney has dexterously used the existing J visa, along with an on-resort academic program, to bring the international workers to Florida as students. Using humorously Disney-esque chapter titles, the author and the University of North Carolina law professor Kit Johnson tells the story of how Disney essentially created a visa, uh, visa category uh, to fill its casting needs. And he quotes from the article, The Q visa is the cornerstone of international hiring at Walt Disney World. The visa's parentage is unquestioned. It, comes, it is commonly known as the Disney visa. But the history of how the visa came to be has never really been fully explored. The story of the Q visa is nothing short of a fairy tale for Disney. For those seeking immigration reform, it may be a more of a cautionary tale about the ability of an unusually skilled advocate to mold the law in order to benefit a single entity. Now cue the It's a Small World theme song. Before the Epcot Park opened in 1982, Disney knew that it wanted cast members uh, in the Epcot World Showcase area of the park to be from the countries represented in the showcase. The showcase houses pavilions representing 11 countries, with, uh, where they are said to exist side by side in exemplary amity. The architecture of each pavilion either replicates a genuine building or copies a vernacular style of the country represented. Each pavilion is meant to exhibit a microcosm of the country represented and includes uh, opportunities to experience native food, entertainment, culture, and arts and crafts. The pavilions are designed to create the impression that the guest is in a foreign country and surrounded by the people of that country. Disney executives initially responded to the call for authentic staffing at the World Showcase by establishing the World Showcase Fellowship Program. However, this was a small program that would have intermingled five to ten fellowship recipients among the hundreds of cast members uh, stationed at certain areas of the pavilion. As a result, guests would have had to been very, very lucky to see a fellowship representative, or they would have had to ask to meet one. According to the article, Walt Disney World's casting director, Duncan Dixon, worked with the United States Information Agency to obtain a new J-Visa designation for cultural ambassadors to come and work as the cast members in Epcot World Showcase, resulting in 100% staffing from the countries represented. But by the late 1980s, uh, problems with the J-Visa intended as a cultural exchange visa and investigations into its abuse threw a wrench into that program. Johnson writes that Disney executives then worked with immigration attorneys, including the famed attorney Ira Kurzban, to draft an entirely new visa. Together, they crafted carefully worded and very narrow piece of legislation, one that would meet the needs of Epcot World Showcase without creating a generalized work visa. 
The visa they drafted applied only to international cultural exchange programs in which the international worker would, as a part of the employment, share in, quote, the history, culture, and traditions of the country of the alien's nationality, end quote. The legislation was intentionally narrow so as to meet Disney's needs without qualifying a wide range of other activities as cultural exchanges. Disney then drafted the support of legislatures in Florida and California, uh, the article continues, as well as that of Bruce Morrison, a, con uh, a Connecticut congressman, who at the time was the chair of the House Immigration Subcommittee of the House Judiciary Committee. The congressman was approached and this period of immigration reform from the basic principle that the more people who will get something out of the piece of legislation, the broader the support will be. He sought to institutionalize what, con what constituents liked about immigration, hoping to log roll his way into a majority with an omnibus bill that was built around a coalition of intense pro-immigration special interests. Detractors described this period of legislative reform as a circus or a feeding frenzy at the trough, with the special interests claiming nearly every section of the developing legislation. Morrison's response, for those academics who never passed any legislation, let them do better. This is legislation that the people told me would never pass. We did it by understanding the politics of immigration better. The visa plan was approved as part of a larger immigration reform package. It was November 29, 1990, when the Immigration Act of 1990, the most significant reform of the legal immigration in the uh, system of the United States in nearly 40 years, became law. Dixon's proposal uh, was codified in the Act as the Q visa and was quickly dubbed the Disney visa by Ira, by Ira Kurzban. While the cultural exchange is still a component of the Q visa, it is a work-based visa, unlike the study-based J visa. The official title of the Walt Disney World Q visa-based program is the Disney Cultural Representative Program, and according to the piece, using these foreign workers saves Disney money. Cultural representatives are uniquely affordable. By the resort's collective bargaining agreement 130, their salaries remain low when compared to union workers because of their short length of stay. Their pay starts at slightly above the minimum wage. There are also tax benefits in hiring international cultural representatives. Such workers are exempt from FICA taxes, which would otherwise cost Disney 7.65% of the workers' total earnings. The author calculates uh, from the reported wage disparities of the company's savings from the QV, so workers would be $343,000 per week and uh, $17.8 million uh, per year in 2011 dollars. So I find it really interesting. I find it personally intriguing to hear a story like that. You know, how Disney has the long arms to be able to reach out and make something beneficial to themselves while not really hurting anyone. Um, you know, they wanted to have people there working and they get a cultural exchange program and it's, you know, in the, broad, in the broadest sense, it's a fairly positive thing. There's um, no, you know, no one's harmed in it. Yes, maybe it takes away a few jobs, but they hire so many tens of thousands of people, it really doesn't feel like they're losing anything in that sense. So it's really kind of interesting, and there still are uh, American workers who do work at those pavilions. It's just that uh, they try to hire as many cultural exchange people as they can to, uh, to come in and work in the uh, various jobs. And that's pretty much it for this podcast. I'd like to invite everyone who's listening to come over and visit DisneyPodcast.net. You can uh, vote on one of the polls, take a look at some of the links I have there, catch an old podcast if you like, and please let me know if there's another site or podcast that you think I should include in the, uh, in the list there. And if you happen to be a business or service that you'd like to promote, uh, I am looking for a sponsor for this podcast and the website, DisneyPodcast.net. Please feel free to visit the site, check out the link up at the top banner that uh, says uh, advertise here, or uh, send me an email and uh, I'd be happy to chat with you about the, uh, the prospect of working together and building a sponsorship relationship. 
I think there's a great opportunity here, and I think we can actually uh, do a lot, a uh, little cross-promotional type things and uh, get some things going. And with that piece of business out of the way, I'm going to bid you adieu. That's the end of this podcast. Uh, be sure and check back in about 10 days. I'll have another podcast out here for you. I hope you're enjoying it. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts, please do let me know. I have a number of things in the works, and uh, we'll get them out here soon enough. But that's it for now. And just remember, if we can dream it, we can do it. Bye now. From all of us, thanks for taking a listen to the podcast today. If you're standing, please hold on to the handrails and stay clear of the doors until the show stops completely and the doors open. Ladies and gentlemen, please collect your personal belongings, watch your head and step, and take small children by the hand. As this concludes our journey, we hope that you enjoyed the show and that you drive home safely. Our thanks go to Doug at geekacres.net for his contributions to the show. And also to Craig for the original music you hear on the show. You can find Craig's music over at ReverbNation.com slash sound A. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the show, please feel free to contact Dave at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Show notes and links to other great content on the web can be found at disneypodcast.net. Now, I will raise the safety bar, and a podcaster will follow you home. Ha 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 